Welcome to Women in Analytics After Hours, the podcast where we hang out and learn with the WA community. Each episode, we sit down with women in the data and analytics space to talk about what they do, how they got there, where they found analytics along the way, and more. I'm your host, Lauren Burke, and I'd like to thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Mimi. So this is actually a live recording of the Women in Analytics After Hours podcast, which is the podcast where we hang out and learn with the WA community. So we are coming to you live from the stage of the 2023 Data Connect Conference. And I am very excited about our guest today. Kate Strashny is the founder of Datacated and Datacated Circle. She is the host of the Datacated On Air podcast. She is the author of Colorwise, which was recently published by O'Reilly, and it talks about the intentional use of color in data visualization. She has over 167,000 followers on LinkedIn, and she was named a LinkedIn top voice in data science and analytics in two separate years. So thank you for joining me, Kate. I am so excited to have you with us. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much, Lauren. Absolutely. And so one thing I always ask on the podcast, um, usually at the end, but I want to start out with it today, is what is a resource that has helped you in your career that you feel like would help others listening? Yeah, I think the resource that comes to mind immediately is LinkedIn, which for those who are not familiar with it, is a, a professional network. Actually, by, by a show of hands, let me know if you're not on LinkedIn. I would be surprised to see. Oh, I see two, 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 three hands up on LinkedIn. So yes, it's a social media platform. It's very professional. And I would say that's the resource that's helped me the most across my entire career. You know, I graduated college in 2009, and I think I got LinkedIn in 2008. So that's been my, my favorite platform from a social media perspective, but it's also brought me so many opportunities to showcase what I know, connect with people, and really just show a whole portfolio of who I am, put my personal brand out there in the public. That's awesome. I love LinkedIn. I think everyone should be on LinkedIn. Even if you aren't as active, it's such a tremendous resource. And that's actually what we're talking about today is personal branding. So I want to start off by just asking you, what is a personal brand and who needs one? Okay, I'll answer the second question first. I think everyone needs a personal brand. And the way I define a personal brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. So let's take Cassie Kosrikov, for example. If, if I were to ask someone, hey, have you heard of Cassie? Chances are they'll say something like, oh, yeah, she talks about machine learning or she's a chief decision scientist or Google or great keynote speaker, right? All those thoughts come to mind. And essentially, that would be her personal brand. That's how she's perceived. And a lot of times we could build our own personal brand intentionally. And other times our brand is built for us by the actions we take, the content we post, the conversations we have or the conversations we take part in. And that all encompasses your personal brand. That's a great description of it. I do want to say that personal brand, though, it's not just for really big names like Cassie Kozarkov, right? We can all benefit from having one. Yes, absolutely. And it doesn't have to be as public, right? Sometimes you can build a personal brand internally within an organization. I'll give you an example. When, when I was working in consulting, I was really good at creating slides. Um, that's a, such a consulting thing to do, right? We, we think in decks, we create decks for everything. And I became really good at it because I joined as a consultant. You're expected to do all the, the slide work. And I became really efficient. So all the slide work was like, oh, 
Kate can do it. She knows how to do it. So I ended up having this personal brand that I did not want to create for myself, but it sort of happened um, within, within that organization. I became that go-to person. But over time, you are able to change your personal brand if that's something that you wanted to do. So it was probably 2014 when I decided I wanted to get into data. And so I started having more conversations about data. I started doing some internal training sessions within that company of, you know, how to use Tableau or visual best practices. And that sort of helped transition my brand. Okay, Kate doesn't only do slides, now she does data. And so you can take actions to change that as well. That's awesome. And you mentioned something that I want to touch on too, which is a personal brand could just be that you're known as the go-to person for something. So it's not even really every aspect about you. It's just one thing that you are either known for or you're associated with because you are an expert in that, in that context. Yes. And it, it could also be coupled with personal. There's a personal in the personal brand perspective. So those who uh, either follow me on LinkedIn or other social media platforms or those who just know me, uh, they know I also like running and hiking and I have kids and I like reading and sunsets and sunrises. And I sort of throw that in there so people can relate to you on a more personal level. And I think that also helps you build that personal brand because it's just more, it's more fun to talk to people. Right. Yeah. And I, I love that you mentioned that too, because it is a personal brand. It's, it's you as a person. It's not one specific aspect. It's yeah. every part of you. And I remember one of the first things I learned about you after I started following you on LinkedIn was that you run ultra marathons. Yeah. And I thought that was so cool. And I also thought how being on LinkedIn, you don't typically see things like that. I typically don't learn things like that about people I'm following. Um, and so that kind of made you stand out in my mind as someone that uh, when you popped up again, I automatically remembered that about you and kind of following that remembered other things about you as well. Yeah. You know, I'll share a quick story about the, the whole running thing. So I, I talk about running just because I enjoy running and I feel like sharing a bit of your personal side is acceptable on a professional platform. What ended up happening was it attracted a very interesting opportunity where TCS, the Tata Consultancy Group, actually contacted me to sponsor me to run the New York City Marathon. Oh, wow. They're, they're like, you talk about data, you talk about running, we'll pay you to run the marathon and talk about it. And I'm like, okay. Like, it was a dream come true. And it all happened because I talk about these things on social media. That is so cool. That's such a fun story. Yeah. And I want to ask, like, about the beginning of this personal branding journey, too. So, when did you start beginning to think about intentionally curating it? How did you get into it? How did you start to recognize that you were building one? Yeah, it actually started by accident. So like I mentioned, I got LinkedIn in 2008. I barely touched it. I think most people use LinkedIn as a place to hold their resume, right? It's still sort of known as the online resume platform. And I think it was about 2014 when I was going through my own transition. I, I had my first child and I wanted to work from home. That was really the kicker. And the, the role that was offered to me was a data analytics insight strategy manager or some sort. So I'm like, okay, I really need to get good at this data thing. And I started using Tableau and I posted a couple of times on LinkedIn, like, hey, I'm taking this Tableau certification or I'm learning data visualization. And a few people started engaging with me. I'm like, wow, this is nice. They're like, good luck, Kate. I'm like, okay, people are nice on LinkedIn. You know, I was, I was really pleasantly surprised with that engagement. And I think that's sort of what brought me back. And I continue to share my, my journey to document my story. And that sort of snowballed. I think it came at a very opportune time where LinkedIn was transitioning into this content platform, where in addition to just resumes, people started sharing videos, polls, images. And 
most people who don't use LinkedIn, they're like, what? You, you, you post on LinkedIn? Like, that's so awkward for them. They're like, uh, but slowly but surely, I started posting more and more and I built connections. And what happened was in 2018, LinkedIn contacted me and they're like, hey, Kate, we think you post great content. So we're nominating you for like this top 10, uh, top voice data science and analytics. And I'm like, well, I don't really know data science and or analytics. I've been in this field for four years. I, I didn't think I had that much new information to add. But what happened was I had a unique perspective in the space and I, I had a voice online. And that's, that's sort of what catapulted my brand into becoming more of a, an intentional brand where after that designation, I'm like, okay, maybe I should take this more seriously and think about the content I'm posting I still don't think that much about the content I'm posting. It's whatever comes to mind. I'm like, okay, this would be good for my audience or I just want to document and share. So that's been my, my story. I love what you just said about, uh, and I think you said it kind of as a joke, but you don't think about the things you post. No. But I feel like more people should do that, yeah. right? Because if it means you're posting more things, you're sharing more things, you're getting your voice out there or you're getting the voice of others you support out there, you don't need to be really thinking about it because you are building that brand even very small steps at a time. Yes, yes. It's usually the first one or two posts that's the hardest. And people think, oh my God, is people are going to see this and they have this fear that someone's going to see their content, which is actually the purpose of posting your content. But I think it's human nature to be afraid of this. Uh, but your, your next post and the one after that, you'll notice that it, not only is it not scary, but most of the times people are very... They're warm, they're friendly, and they're actually willing to help in whatever journey you're on. Yeah, I feel like most people aren't paying as much attention to your posts as you are paying attention to them. So you probably put a lot more thought and effort and worry into it than anyone that's going to see it as they're scrolling by. But that one out of every 10 people who sees it and benefits from that content, maybe think about how it's for them instead, because... As long as you're helping people, it feels like it's worth it, even if it feels uncomfortable at first to get started. Yeah, you know, I'll share a very brief story here. So just yesterday, I was having a conversation with someone who was thinking of starting to post content. So I asked her, why haven't you posted? And she said, well, what if my colleagues see it? What if my friends see it? And I'm like, okay, what would you post, right? So it would be a technical, um, let's say, data data piece of data content and this is, this is a very intelligent brilliant individual that I wouldn't say even has imposter syndrome but is all it I guess it's this fear of somebody seeing that content and I'm like okay so what will happen who will see it we picked a specific individual on the team she's like okay well she will see it I'm like okay then what what's going to happen then she's like she'll probably scroll past it or read it and then keep scrolling. I'm like, and then what happens, right? <laughs> nothing, nothing happens. But like you just mentioned, it might actually help someone who is either trying to solve that problem or is facing a similar obstacle or just wants some inspiration or just wants to hear about your journey. Right. And I think that's the more important thing to focus on rather than all of the scary what ifs <laughs> and maybe start thinking about the what could and the positive what coulds. But thinking about that, getting started and starting to grow your personal brand, other than LinkedIn, where and how can people get started? So other than LinkedIn, I mean, there are other social media platforms available if folks are comfortable on social media. So there's Instagram. I'm not great with Instagram. It's just a lot of photos. I can't keep up. There is Twitter. There's Threads, which is a new platform. And one of my actual favorite platforms is YouTube. Um, so most people think I started on LinkedIn and it is still my favorite 
platform, but I actually started on YouTube when I was posting on LinkedIn. I actually, at the same time, I started a video podcast called Humans of Data Science. So I had this fear that I don't have anything new to add. So I decided I'm going to interview people. They all have fun stories. And I, I interviewed like 10-minute clips of from the CEO to an intern you know, across, across the world somewhere and just ask them, hey, how did you become a data scientist and why? It was mostly because I wanted to learn. But in addition to me learning, I, I decided that what if I share this with others who also want to hear that perspective, who are also in a similar journey? So I'd say YouTube is, is another great platform. But even in person, right, it, at your job, that's, if, you have, if you have a job right now, that's a great place for you to build your personal brand. Just talking to more people or getting in front of uh, a group of individuals or even just having lunch with different types of people and telling them what it is you do or what it is you would like to do, especially if you're trying to move away from your existing personal brand into something what you want to be known for, just continuing to have those conversations as many times as possible. That's awesome. And I love that you mentioned that podcasting is such a good way to learn new things from people because I absolutely feel like that's true. I think we were talking about that earlier because every time I talk to someone on the podcast, I come away with some new fact or interesting thing, a new technique that I then go and I usually tell someone or I take back to work with me and I always am gaining something valuable, meeting someone interesting and learning new things and creating content through that, but not really even intentionally trying to create content that is my own or about me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, you're highlighting other people's journeys. Exactly. Yeah. And you can actually do that as well, right? With some of the content you're sharing, it doesn't always have to be your content. You could be sharing other people's content as well. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And for those who are nervous to sort of get started and create content outright and, you know, take a video of yourself, I think that's probably the scariest on people's list of putting a camera in front of their face and saying what they really think and posting that. Uh, I, I do think that's one of the highest fears, um, maybe right after public speaking and in front of real people, because you can delete the video, right? Um, I think starting small is probably a good idea where you can find content that is relevant to the brand you're trying to build and just comment on it. Just give your two cents um, a couple of times a day. And I think that sort of warms you up into this engaging with the community where you're not just coming out cold with content, people already start to recognize you. Um, that's, that's another tip. If there's somebody you're trying to get in touch with and maybe you're not hearing back from them or they're just not responding to your LinkedIn email or your email, engage with their last 10 pieces of content on whatever platform they typically post on. And they're, they're going to start to recognize you like, oh, I've seen Lauren's name like 10 times today. <laughs> Don't be weird about it, right? Don't just like spam people. I think be strategic and make sure it's a thoughtful comment. But I think it's a great way to get attention from somebody that you're trying to get attention from. That's such a good point, too, because even if you're sharing something, maybe you're, you're typically sharing things about the newest ways to use ChatGPT at your job. So then you kind of by default become that person. Your brand becomes someone to go to, go to their LinkedIn and see what's new about ChatGPT. Yep. And then that's not even really like a big worrisome issue for you trying to create that content. You're just able to find something and share it out. Yeah, I think it helps if we also define content as a very broad item. It doesn't have to be this original thought that no one's had before. A piece of content could literally be someone taking a selfie here right now, like Sadie just did in the audience. She can post that. She can use the hashtag DataConnect2023, maybe 
think of something that came out of this conversation that might be useful for others and say, hey, you know, I just heard this from Kate and Lauren and I agree or I disagree, whatever that might be. That's your piece of content. It, it really doesn't have to be that complicated. Yeah, I think content especially, it's such a broad term now that it feels like it's almost easier to get into sharing it because there's so many options out there. And if one form intimidates you or feels like too complex or you're just not ready to get into that piece, there's probably something else that is that first stepping stone that you can take along the way. Yes, you don't have to go with the scariest, most complicated approach. So even a poll on LinkedIn, like, do you like Tableau or Power BI? Or, you know, did you attend Data Connect live or, um, you know, virtually? And that already is a piece of content. So it doesn't have to be drastic. It could be an article. It could be a poll, an image, a video. So many ways to create content. That's awesome. And so what are some of the platforms or tools or things you found that help you when you're creating content? So for me personally, I use Canva quite heavily for all of my design. Um, it's, it's sort of like PowerPoint on steroids is how I describe it to other people. If you've never used it, I highly recommend it for all your data visualization. I even create my slides in there now. <laughs> Back to my slide um, uh, stories. But it's, it's one of the easiest platforms to use uh, for, for creating visuals. I create a lot of visuals for LinkedIn, for my clients, and for other social media platforms. You can even do videos on there now. And there's a lot of great just images and backgrounds that you can use. And in addition to that, I'd say StreamYard would be my other uh, very go-to tool. And that's what I use for live streaming. So I typically have uh, every, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, I have the dedicated show which live streams on YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, Twitch, and Facebook. And it just makes it so easy to, to put the speakers on. It's just very user-friendly. And er any guests I had, they're like, this is awesome. I'm like, yeah, I should sell StreamYard. <laughs> like, it's that good. <laughs> they should give you an affiliate. Code. Yeah, they really should. <laughs> That's great, too. Live streams seem like such a great way to um, connect with people, especially because it allows for so much interaction. It allows people to kind of get to see you in your element, ask questions. And especially if you have people that you're trying to connect with in different areas, they usually can access it in a way that isn't too difficult or they have to arrange their schedule around. Yes. And the other benefit is you don't have to be perfect on a live stream. So if we were to make a video, a 10 minute video, it would probably take us an hour if we knew we could edit it and we'd, we'd keep editing. Oh, no, I said that wrong. Oh, OK. No, 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 no. I wanted to ask the question this way. Or we'd even have a script, right? For live shows, I, I generally just go with the flow. I have some questions prepared, but a lot of the questions that come in from the live audience and we, we take it as it comes and it becomes this casual, fun experience where we barely have to prepare because it's, it's just a fun conversation. And a lot of people, I feel like a lot of what people want is the authentic con content. And so live streams really allow you to get that. And I think especially in a post-pandemic world, people are more interested in that than something that is really structured, edited, and that really we want to know what people are thinking, what they're interested in. And that's part of the personal brand too, the authenticity part. Oh, yeah. People don't want robots. I mean, no offense, ChatGPT, but <laughs> we want real conversations. I think we want real people and we're drawn to it. Even if, you know, you make mistakes on a live show or 
your kids barge in, which has happened, or the fire alarm goes off, which has happened, or <laughs> anything can happen. And people sort of roll with it. And I think they, they appreciate it even more. They're like, oh my God, she's powering through. She's going to keep going. So <laughs> it takes the pressure off for sure. And maybe it becomes viral. And then your personal <laughs> brand becomes a lot easier to establish because everyone already knows about you. <laughs> I think I think you're thinking of the kids barging in video for that guy yes. who was trying to look professional. <laughs> yes. I'm definitely thinking of that exact one. But that kind of relates to what I want to talk about next, which is challenges. So I'd love to hear about some of the challenges that you've encountered and some of the tips you might have to work around them. I think the biggest challenge in in building that personal brand, especially publicly, is probably fear. And I think most people here who have not posted anything on social media, you might say, oh, I'm just a private person, which could be very true. But I think there's no harm in sharing some professional perspectives Um, You don't have to share photos of your children or you on vacation. I think sharing your thoughts on the latest trends in data governance, like eh, how private can you be about that? Like, I mean, unless you really have to be private about it or you have company restrictions. Um, I think you, you can post about different topics and really just, just sort of go with what you're really knowledgeable about. Um, so getting over that fear for me, it came it came really quick because I was supposed to do a podcast. It was it was literally this guy who just graduated college, and he's like, "Hey, Kate, I want to interview you." And I'm like, "Well, I'm just getting into this space. What do I know?" And I almost canceled like 10 minutes before. It was a pre-recorded podcast. I'm like, "Okay, he's just gonna get over it." I think I was like his third guest. And that was my, my biggest challenge. I was like, what do I have to add to this conversation? Who am I? I'm like a junior person. But I ended up doing the podcast. I talked myself into it. I'm like, what's the worst that can happen? I'll just tell him not to post it, if anything. So I'm glad I did because after that, everything just became so much easier. It's sort of like jumping into a pool of water for the first time. And then the second time, you're like, well, I've done this. And, you know, I didn't die, so it was fine. <laughs> we, life kept going. And I think that would be the biggest challenge for folks to get over is that the fear of doing it the first time. And keep in mind that people are generally very friendly and they don't care about you as much as you think they do. They care mostly about themselves. The other challenge that would come to mind is people don't know what to post. Okay, well, what do I say? What do I say, right? Especially those first couple of posts, there's so many so many things that I want to post that I literally don't have enough airtime on LinkedIn. Because if you post too much, they just won't show it to people anymore. So I definitely have the opposite problem. Um, but a lot of times people are not sure what to post. And I, I say a great exercise for this is to take a piece of paper, write down your name, and then write down like the 10 things that you want people to think of um, when they think of you. So sort of getting around to your personal brand. It doesn't have to be this really crisp statement, but I think those 10 phrases or 10 words can really help you. Um, and then just pick one of those that excites you the most and ask yourself a question, like what are people thinking when they think about this term? What questions do they have? Like if the, question, if the, if the brand you're looking after is a data visualization expert, well, what questions will people have around data visualization? Okay, it can lead you to post about when to use a bar chart versus a pie chart. Or, you know, it could sort of lead you into these topics. And then you, as you mentioned, go with what you're comfortable with. You can make a video about that topic. You can write a short post. You can write an article. You can write a book. You can, you know, take it in, uh, as far as you want to. But that's sort of the way I'd go around those two challenges. 
I love that exercise too. It seems like it's such a great way to just get started. Yeah. And like you said, that is the, it's the first big step, the jumping into the pool of water. And I think a lot of it is you don't know what to expect before you do it. So your mind just runs wild with all of the things that could happen. But the second time, you know what's going to happen and you know what all the worst case, all the best case scenarios are. So it really reduces the worries. But that getting started, once you get past that, it really opens up opportunities and how comfortable you feel doing more and more one step at a time. Yeah, I think I'll just add to that exercise. If you run out of things or if you get the 10 things, but you still want to continue with this exercise is asking maybe five other people, hey, what do you think about when you think of me? You can even, that could be your post. That could be your first LinkedIn post. Write down, comment below what comes to mind when you see my name, right? And then see what other people perceive to be your personal brand and sort of maybe check with that first exercise. Does it match up or is it way off? And if it's way off, then you'll have to take steps to get closer to that personal brand that you envisioned yourself having. That's a great idea too, because you hopefully get unbiased or slightly biased feedback, but you're getting feedback that you likely aren't thinking about or seeing from the inside. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen a lot of people do something similar too, where, and generally it's people with a larger personal brand with a larger following, but asking what kind of content their followers want to see from them. And I feel like that's a great way to understand what people see you as an expert in mm -hmm. and what they feel like you have not shared that you could share mm -hmm. that they can learn from. Yeah, exactly. And gives you ideas for content. That's why a lot of us do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, what do you want to hear from me? Or let's do a Q&A. Ask me anything. That's sort of when we're running out of things to say. And you're like, we also want to know what's top of mind for the audience, right? What, what do people actually care about when it comes to this topic? And that gives you a lot of ideas. So. Yeah, I feel like crowdsourcing Pretty much anything is a great way to just feel out like the temperature of something, what people are actually interested in, because you could try and make a list of what you think people are interested in. But nine times out of 10, you're going to miss something or you're going to overlook something or someone's going to want to add something. But if you didn't ask, you're not going to know to add it. I, I crowdsource for almost everything. Any business idea I have, if I want to expand the business or create a new product or, or, or write a book, I actually ask my audience like, hey, vote on the title for the book and we'll use an actual poll. And interestingly, uh, the title for the book that we're going to talk about later was um, voted the highest uh, in my audience. So they actually chose the title of the book. And I, I guess taking them on that journey helps build that personal connection as well because they're like, oh, we're a part of this now. So it's fun. That's so awesome. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. But that's so cool. Uh, but speaking of kind of the opportunities that can come out of a personal brand, it definitely, building a strong personal brand definitely makes it easier for people to find you, opportunities to come to you. So are there any opportunities that have come to you that you've noticed since you've been working on this? How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> there have been so many great opportunities that have come my way simply because I post on LinkedIn or other social media platforms. And I think, you know, from speaking gigs to training opportunities to lots of job offers and advisory offers and just fun offers like running a marathon and getting, getting sponsored for that. I think all of those have come to me because of the personal brand. I actually had someone tell me specifically like, hey, we, um, we wanted you to be a part of this because you post so much about this content. Or I've, I was brought in for a job interview. They're like, you're obviously super passionate about this topic, or it was data visualization, 
you talk about this all the time. I'm like, yeah, exactly, because I am passionate about it. But it, it comes through very obviously when you continue to talk about it. And you sort of become this magnet for all the best opportunities out there. That's awesome. And uh, so speaking of data visualization, you recently released a book called Colorwise. I actually have it here. It talks about the intentional use of color in data storytelling and design. So I'm interested in how you got so interested in color theory and how you found out that there was a need for it in the data community. Yeah, so fun story. When I was starting my data visualization journey, this is, wow, almost 10 years ago, uh, I, was, I was working for a company and they gave me a task to develop a sort of a scatter plot with an image in the background that was supposed to display four personality types. So, you know, a new hire would take this personality assessment, like a 20 question assessment, and it would tell them like you're, you're A, B, C, or D, right? There are four personality types. And they use that for building teams, for going, you know, working for a client. And they asked me to create in Tableau a data visualization that will help collect the results and automatically create this visualization. So I was very new to the platform. At that time, um, it was not as easy to create a scatter plot with a background image. I'm sure it's much easier now, 10 years later. Uh, but anyways, I spent a lot of time on forums trying to do this. And in the firm, those four personality types had four specific colors. So personality A would be orange, B would be blue, and so on. And when I created the visualization, I used those four colors because I assumed that made sense logically, at least to me. But as a junior employee, I had to have this vetted by my manager. And he was like, no, we need to use brand colors. Don't use those four colors. I'm like, well, you know, he's been here a lot longer. He's the boss. I'm going to do what he says. I changed the colors. It took, you know, half a second to click, choose the brand color. And we present this to leadership and they're like, oh, this looks so great. It works well, but can we change the colors? I'm like, oh, wow. If only I thought of that. So they wanted those four colors. And the reason was they also knew that when people see that color, they'll think of that personality type. And it's this small little feature that just makes it easier for folks to understand the data visualization. So now fast forward, I, you know, I'm talking to my husband a few years later, he was getting into data visualization as well. And he was playing around with Power BI, just sort of creating random dashboards just to get a hang of dashboards. And he was using sample data from Burger King and he used the colors like purple and green or something weird like that. And I'm like, wait, why would you use purple for like, he actually had the burger in purple like, it means nothing. You could use Burger King colors. Like, and that's it. In that case, it would make sense. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. Colors don't matter. I'm like, oh, they do. And I've gone on to prove him wrong because I wrote a whole book on this. So I was so passionate. I started giving talks um, on visual best practices in general. So I usually talk about choosing the right chart, reducing clutter. And then lastly, I always talk about the intentional use of color. And I was so passionate about sharing that specific message because because of my husband, because he was like, no, no one cares. I'm like, no, no, you've motivated me. People will care. Uh, so that, that's when I decided I wanted to write a whole book on the topic. That's awesome. And I do have to say, I have never seen a purple burger, maybe on SpongeBob, but... There's a pink sauce now for the whole Barbie promotion. Oh. They have a burger. It looks gross. <laughs> it looks gross. <laughs> so you should have thought about the color of that maybe yeah. more intentionally. I know. So that's a great point. Uh, it really comes down to something that you talk a lot about in the book, but not just about color, but why it matters, why color 
has meaning, why certain colors should be used for things, and how the audience that you're speaking to should affect your choices. Yes, absolutely. Color theory, color psychology, the way people think about things when they see a specific color without even noticing it. Uh, it's it's sort of in your subconscious where you, you can get triggered kind of where with a bright yellow for a sale, it kind of makes you want to spend money or uh, a red in in some countries could mean like this is an emergency or an alert, something bad is happening. Whereas in other countries, it might be something good is happening. So you really have to know your audience and the impact that you want to have with your data visualization or with anything really, with any presentations or outfits. It, it, it's very broad. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of, yeah, that comes back to something that we've heard a lot about in talks today. And I'm sure we'll hear in um, the future coming talks for the conference, but asking the whys. So why do you, when you're creating this project, this product, why are you creating it? Who are you creating it for? Mm -hmm. And what do they need, those users? And that color should affect that. What do they need to feel? What do they need to think? What do they need to want to do based on what you're showing them? Yes, absolutely. And then also thinking about accessibility, right? Will your presentation or chart or graphic be viewed in color? Sometimes it's printed. Yes, people still print, I'm sure. Um, sometimes the graphics on a PowerPoint might come off differently than you expected. Let's say this big room, uh, it, might be, it might look different. So testing that ahead of time. And also thinking about uh, those with color vision deficiency where they might not see differences between red and green where you know, those two colors are used extensively in, in the stock market and other areas to show maybe profit and loss. Um, keeping in mind that, what is it, one out of 12, I think, men can't really see much of a difference between specific shades of red and green, which can really impact that, um, what, what you're trying to go for with your data visualization. That's an interesting example, too, because you're kind of riding the line between green and red. We think of those as so traditionally as like stop and go, yes or yeah. no. But then it also directly kind of contradicts that where certain people, so many people actually cannot benefit from that. They can't see it. And so you have to think about the two sides of do you need it to align more to what people might be thinking when they see red and green? Or do you really need everyone in your audience to be able to see the colors and be able to make some decision, understand something based on what you're showing them? Yep. That's very true. And the, the stop and go, I, I don't know how no one thought of that before, because I mean, all the street lights are green and red. So if you can't see the difference, that's kind of tough. <laughs> it does seem a little dangerous. It sounds like they should have read your book before. Yes. Blue and orange, by the way, is the recommended, um, if you're dealing with color vision deficiency, blue and orange tends to be the best two contrasting colors that you can use. Interesting. We should take a note of that and start adding that in our visualizations. Yes. <laughs> But I do want to shout out with ColorWise, uh, Kate will be doing a book signing. Also with Chip Wen, they will be signing books at the after party today. So if you're interested in getting your own copy of ColorWise, I highly recommend it. It's a really fun read. Uh, stop by and meet Kate. Yay. <laughs> meet Kate. Yes, I'll be there. <laughs> I hope you will be there. <laughs> um, but I want to come back to kind of connecting color theory with personal branding. And so as you were building your personal brand, either intentionally when you were starting or along the way, were you thinking or are you thinking now about how colors play into the content you're sharing, the emails you're sending, the newsletters? 
Absolutely. I think I've always thought about colors and to me, it sort of came naturally. So when I tell people to be intentional with their color use, I'm always so intentional with my color use that I don't even think about it that much. But I do design a lot of visualizations for, for my clients, for my social media, sometimes for fun. And thinking through the types of colors that will either pop in your social media feed, something that would be like a scroll stopper where it's like, oh, look at this neon green. Like maybe I should pay attention. What's happening there? Um, I definitely think about that a lot. And even when creating my own brand, which before dedicated, I used to be known as Story by Data. I don't love that name anymore. <laughs> Fully dedicated now. I couldn't commit to a color. So I actually was trying to go for this Google look of like dark blue and light blue and sort of just having this phase because I couldn't pick a color. But as I evolved in my own understanding of color theory, I, I realized that maybe having this consistent color is important. So I did go for this sort of indigo bluish purple for the dedicated logo. And I, I use that consistently as much as I can on any of my promotions, just so when people see that, they'll also notice like, okay, this must be related to dedicated. So I've got the specific hex value, you know, uh, just to make sure that it's the exact same indigo blue that I'm using in this place and that place. So people have that understanding of, okay, this is this brand. And it's so much more easily recognizable too across everything that you're doing. So I know you have multiple dedicated offshoots, but they all are at least connected with color and with the name and with some of the other branding you're putting around them. Yeah, trying to keep it consistent. It's hard because when you are a team of one, which I am, no one is there to tell you like, no, Kate, don't do it. It's off brand. I'm like, oh, I'll just do it. I'll experiment. <laughs> but it's sort of, um, you know, the, the more consistent you are, absolutely, uh, the better it is for your personal brand. That's awesome. And so one part of personal branding and creating your personal brand is not just online, it's not on LinkedIn, it's also in person. So do you have any tips that our attendees can take away and use to build their personal brand at an in-person event like Data Connect? Absolutely. We're here in person. I think, you know, for some, this might be your first or second conference back from being home for a couple of years. Maybe it's not. I, I haven't gone to that many conferences since we were allowed to be back in person. So I think taking the opportunity to actually talk to each other uh, resist the urge to go back to your room on break or eat lunch by yourself in a corner, I think. Approach people that you maybe normally wouldn't because they'll share a different perspective. I think a lot of times we gravitate towards talking to the people we already know, met at least once. Um, so I think the easiest way to do this is maybe sit next to someone, um, someone you don't know, and chances are you're, you're just going to be like, hey, how's it going? Or after the session, like, hey, was that great or what, or not, you know, depending on how the session went, uh, or did you agree or disagree, you sort of have something to talk about. And the fact that you're actually sitting close together, I think it already helps you uh, connect. And just having these personal conversations. So I think, uh, you know, folks come to an event with this elevator pitch idea where they're going to say, okay, I'm going to shake hands, I'm going to tell them my name, my title, and then like ramble off this one thing that I'm good at. I don't think it has to be that way. I think being personal, and almost every conversation I had here yesterday and today has led to something personal. Like, oh, I have this fear or oh, my kids are going through this or, you know, I, I flew in and my flight sucked or something bad happened or something good happened. And having these conversations, it actually builds a relationship as opposed to like, so what's your business card? Let me, let me take a picture of your 
thing and I'll connect, you, connect with you later, which is actually important. So after you've built that personal connection, going to a platform like LinkedIn um, has been very helpful for me where you connect. Um, you could follow each other, but I think connections are even more important. It's Data Connect Conference, right? So make sure you go there, you connect. And now you can send personal messages to each other and have those conversations, but you'll also start to see their content in your feed. So like, oh, I met Lauren last year and I see she's doing this thing now. Like, oh, okay, that's cool. And you can, maybe I want to be involved in that. Or Lauren, how'd you do this, right? Like I saw you publish the book. How did you get in touch with the publisher? And for me, that's been so helpful to just see, have the right people in my feed that are just doing cool things. And I think everyone who's here are doing something interesting with their life that you could share that can help other people along that journey. That's awesome. Those are all such great tips. Uh, and that's just such a great note to end on. So thank you so much, Kate, for joining us live on stage. I hope everyone enjoyed hearing our live recording. And I hope everyone listening at home also enjoyed some of the tips and tricks that Kate has shared today. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. 